cloud. Okay. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. Today's November 7th, 2023, block height 815,726. And the current exchange rate is 34,856 US dollars per Bitcoin. Um, I am here chatting with Sintosh. We met through the Bitcoin Consultant Network. Uh, and today we're going to catch up just for an informal talk about um, nodes, consulting work, the potential for a giant orange pill to be sent to Shopify, and whatever topics come up in this sort of meandering conversation. So, Santosh, thanks for being here and being available. Not a problem. I'm just glad that I'm here to talk to you. <laughs> Likewise. So, this is the first time, I mean, you were, Santosh was one of the speakers at the white paper event that we posted to the STOA, but that was kind of a very... Um, intentional event where there wasn't really much of an intro. So maybe a good place to start is just tell the people a little bit about yourself for five minutes, you know, so they can get an idea of who you are, your story, and why you do this work. I know that could probably take a two hour podcast, but we'll <laughs> keep it brief just to give some context so that people actually understand where we're coming from, because they'll be familiar with my voice and who I am. But I think it's important to let them know who you are and what you're all about. Absolutely. Um, I will try to keep it way more brief than the five minutes that you give me, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's get at it. Cool. Um, I'm a curious mind at heart and growing up, my first toy was a set of hammer tools and screwdrivers made out of Lego and plastic that I got probably when I was one. I didn't grow up with many toys, but I was always a curious child wanting to learn everything and anything in front of me. My dad was a mechanical engineer, and maybe I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. I wanted to be an automobile engineer. I went to grade 12, hated physics, so I ended up becoming an industrial engineer instead. And I went to a university where we were required to do a multitude of internships in order to graduate. So before I even graduated university, I had almost two years of working experience before I got into the workforce. And what taught me during that time was Learning is the most important thing in life. And if you stop learning, you're not living. And I could not work for a company in the tech division. And if I was going to work, I would only work in a tech company. And I learned that very quickly while working in banks and other institutions where if you're in IT, you're a cost. But if you're in a tech company, you're no longer a cost depending on which team you are. So that lens was sort of given to me by a manager very early on. And my career spans a decade in helping organizations adopt technology in SaaS, in a variety of industries. Uh, there has been, what was the first one top? Supply chain, healthcare, field safety. And the last gig was in a FinTech. And all my roles have always been customer facing, uh, account management, customer success, consulting, and lastly, uh, um, partnerships. So for me, the customer journey is always at the forefront of any discussion and of any or any instance of adopting technology because they are the most important individual who is adopting it. Now, that said, that's sort of my personal uh, or sorry, my professional uh, angle of where I've been the last sort of uh, two decades. Personally, Bitcoin has been sort of my mantra the last, let's say, six years. I stumbled upon it because my brother-in-law said, hey, have you come across Bitcoin or Ethereum? And I said, yeah, I've heard of Bitcoin, but I don't know what Ethereum is. So I started studying and I couldn't stop. 
uh, I was in Australia for a year where I decided to move my entire life. And I was by myself there and I was sort of in my own bubble. And during that bubble, all I did was read Bitcoin articles, listen to Bitcoin podcasts. I bought books and I just, I just studied as much as I could. And during that sort of period, I realized that I, I hadn't had this level of desire and this, this inkling to just learn and absorb information like a sponge in a really long time. The last time I could really recall was I was being a child, just being curious about every little thing. Dad, can you explain this? Why is it blue? Why is this green? And you'd always ask these insistent questions and your parents probably got bothered by it. But that was me. I was a kid in a candy shop. Just why is, why shot 256? What does it mean that that? Well, what does this curve mean? Well, why is it happening that way? And that's where the idea of student of Bitcoin was born because I came to the realization very quickly that people don't see Bitcoin as a subject to study. They see it as an investment. They see it as a scam. They see it as a, they don't even see it as technology. It's just some internet magic thing that everyone talks about that they have zero idea about. And for me, student of Bitcoin was more so, it achieved two things. One, I wanted everyone to learn. Two, I was hoping it would disarm any individual that heard the name student of Bitcoin and remove any baggage or any bias they had of Bitcoin. Because when someone says, hey, what do you do? I'm a student of Bitcoin. What does that mean? I study Bitcoin. That's it? Yeah, I study Bitcoin. Do you invest in it? Nope, I just study it. Oh, why do you study it? Well, because I find it extremely interesting. And I think everyone in the world should know that there's this new technology brewing and you should have a heads up. And I'm hoping that I can give you a heads up. And that conversation sort of removes the entire exchange rate, the, the biases, the scam, the energy. It removes all of that and just says, hey, I'm just a student. I'm just studying it. And people get thrown off because you're a really old student. And I usually don't comment on that. But my ultimate goal that I've sort of would like to continue on for the next foreseeable future of my life is help spark curiosity in one student at a time so they can start their Bitcoin journey. And when I say student, it can be anyone and everyone on this planet. They don't have to be young. They don't have to be in school. A 90-year-old grandma, she could be a student of Bitcoin. Boom. That's the best intro I've heard in a while. And I, I mean, a couple of things come out there. So sometimes I think of Bitcoin as this thousand by thousand square Rubik's cube, where everyone comes to this monolith of technological innovation and beauty, uh, seeing one square on that thousand by thousand Rubik's cube and everyone sees it can see a completely different square. And so I'm always fascinated, you know, what area of professional life or personal life uh created this person so that they picked that specific square to begin their rabbit hole journey and i think i relate a lot to what you said because when people ask what do i do or what do i love i just say i'm a curious human that loves to play and that's often way too abstract for people to have any meaning or take it seriously but i think bitcoin is like it seems to be that bitcoin is the final destination for curious people who love to learn about everything in the world because it is this foundational certainty that we can build truthful knowledge on and know that that will hold true and allow us to have a truthful lens to see other parts of the world. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, like your quote unquote pedigree of where you went through in your learning journey actually makes you the perfect person to help educate the world about Bitcoin, because you're right. The customer 
journey, let's call it the newbie first touch point to Bitcoin is actually maybe the most precious and important one. And if we treat every single opportunity like that as like sacred and deserving of respect and attention instead of, you know, I think it's just Bitcoiners caring deeply about the first touch point someone has and making sure it's actually a truthful, honest touch point um, and not the final destination. That That is actually what increases adoption. Uh, and it's not even about making money. It's about helping people understand better money exists and to help shield them from the manipulation of money that people literally just live in. So they have become immune. It's been normalized theft on a mass scale through monetary manipulation has become normalized. And only the crazy people, the black sheep who are willing to actually step outside the norm and educate the world about a better alternative are, are going to achieve uh, the adoption curve that Bitcoin needs. So I think it's, yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. And studentofbitcoin.com is your education website, correct? For now, yes. So I'm still on the fence if I'm just education, if I'm going to consulting. We're just, my wife and I are sort of just now just trying to do as variety of things as possible in Bitcoin to see where our footing lands because both of us have over two decades of experience in tech, both in sales and customer facing roles, helping people adopt uh, technology for, if anything, she's actually, she's held larger positions because she worked in Microsoft. So she's, she's worked on much larger deals than I personally have in my career. So consulting seems like the natural evolution from a professional stance, but personally I'm out here saying there's new money. So I'm not in it to make money because there's just, that's what I always he hear people say. So how do you make money? Or are you making money out of this? And I say, listen, I'm here telling you there's new money. Forget making money. This is new money. And that lens shift is so important. And I'm digressing a bit, but let me get back to the website. A student of Bitcoin, I feel will ultimately, I hope to be a movement so that anyone and everyone can become a student. And I feel that my expertise, yes, in education is very important to get that first interaction. But ultimately, my I've spent almost 12 years helping organizations adopt tech. So it feels that I'm doing I'm doing a little injustice to myself to not help businesses adopt technology. And I went through a 100-day challenge earlier this year. And we'll get into that in shortly. But my biggest takeaway from that 100-day challenge is I can spend thousands of hours with an individual one hour at a time, but I'm only going to get 1,000 users in those thousand hours. But if I spend those thousand hours, one hour with each business, now that's thousand businesses, they are interacting with 10,000 users and network effects taking into place. And you can 10X, 10X, 10X. So if I truly want to have a meaningful impact in the Bitcoin sort of ecosystem, businesses is the, the secret recipe or that little, the X factor that can help me get there. So, Education for businesses, I, I suspect, is where I'll naturally sort of deviate towards. And the year that we're, we're sort of taking a year off and our ultimate goal in this year is just learn, meet humans like yourself, make connections, see the different communities in the world, see what's needed. How do you help individuals? How do you make it easy? And sort of have Bitcoin interactions along the way as much as we can. Yeah. And I think before you can actually determine the path forward, you have to actually explore and see what the world needs and how it needs it. 
right? Like we know the world needs Bitcoin and, you know, introducing companies to new tech, it's like <laughs> Bitcoin's just the best tech. <laughs> so it's cool that you fell on that. But I think it's really, it kind of aligns with the whole low time preference approach to Bitcoin, right? Like you're taking the time, savoring life, gathering data about the world, which can then be used to come back and determine what the best outlet for all that knowledge that you've gained is for the next project. And I agree. I think scaling our energy through technology and through talking to the people who will talk to tens of thousands of people is, is actually the best, like technology itself is an energy multiplier, right? Like I, I mm -hmm. went through this, I used to be, I'm formally trained as a physical therapist. I treated in clinic, realized very quickly that I can treat 10 people a day and give all of my energy and you know life energy to treating 10 people one hour per person and go really hard and like full focus, full presence, full effort and be drained at the end of every day. Or I can take that same sort of veracity of focus, do five hours, create content that can go to a, a hundred thousand people to help them take care of themselves instead of telling them what they need to do to alleviate the pain. That's a symptom of a bigger problem, which is, mm -hmm. you know, the way they live. And actually what really got me sort of gut punched and committing to Bitcoin was that without sound money, people will not have the time to take care of themselves because their time is constantly being stolen and taking care of themselves is actually the lowest priority often because there's too many pressing things like mortgages, families, food, you know, it really is this like disturbing thing, but also this giant opportunity where like witnessing the pain of the people that I, that I see and talk to is actually like such a massive motivator to do this work you know, take care of myself first, then how can I use each finite unit of time and energy that I have to scale into the biggest impact? And what I've come to is it's working with the team and it's working to go after the antelopes instead of uh, the, um, the mice, which I mean, <laughs> you know, there will be people everywhere who will help individuals. Um, but the biggest impact, you know, which is where kind of the Shopify opportunity came from is like, okay, what if you could orange pill 1.75 million businesses in one go by orange pilling and offering a really beautiful and enticing opportunity for hopefully curious people to go down mm -hmm. by basically orange pilling Shopify and having them, you know, it's good for their business. It's good for mm -hmm. their merchants and it's good for the world. And we don't need to get into that right now because I kind of want to know a bit more about your 100 day challenge because I find it, you know, we have in we have lots of time to have these conversations. We could have these conversations every two weeks or every month. Um, but I'd love to hear your 100 day challenge, what it was, um, why you chose to do it. And then also, you know, like unexpected things that were good or challenging that came, came about. I'd love to hear about it. Yes. So the preface to the 100 day challenge was I spent a year out of fintech and it learned it probably was one of my biggest learning lessons in life, because at that point, I understood Bitcoin. I had a decent understanding of what I wanted to do with my life. And if anything, that fintech role was really a stepping stone for getting into Bitcoin. I knew full I knew full fledged before I accepted that offer, the, the negatives and the positives of that role but I knew that'd be a stepping stone to Bitcoin and holding a senior role in partnerships. I was responsible for pretty much talking to the largest brands around the world to sell them a card program. And what that meant is I would create the perfect card program for let's say 
I don't want to pick on brands, but think of the largest home improvement company or think of the largest shoe apparel, shoe, uh, shoe wear or apparel company and say, hey, wouldn't it be amazing in Canada if you had a loyalty program and a credit card linked to that loyalty program so you can understand full-fledged how your customers are spending so you can incentivize them to spend more with your brands? And that taught me a lot about the financial industry, about the credit card system, about the card networks, and a lot more. But at the end of the day, I'd come home and I'd feel a little, I'd feel icky. It felt kind of bad. Like my soul was just withering away because what I was doing was selling credit. And here I was coming home, I'd get on Bitcoin and I'd start reading Bitcoin. And I'm like, wow, during the day, I am pushing credit onto these largest brands so that Canadians who are one of the most, I hate to say it, one of the most illiterate sort of population financially. That's we are, the truth. And we, we hold what some of the largest household debt per GDP out of all G7 countries, which is insane. We beat France and USA and Germany. Wow. So during the day I sell credit, I come home and I read Bitcoin. I'm like, dude, you need to stop this. So a year in, I had learned and I'm like, you know what? I think it's time to pull the trigger and go into Bitcoin full time. And as I was going through that decision, of course, the interest rates start popping, which means everyone's in cost cutting mode. So the organization cuts 40% of its workforce. And I'm like, this could be the, this is the best thing that's happened to me. So I got into, so I'm like, okay, I know I'm getting into Bitcoin. What the heck am I doing? I didn't know. I, until that point, I was writing a bunch of notes. So I don't, I'm surprised that I, it came this far, but here, I'll show you. So I, the way I learned was I take, visual, I take notes hmm. and I've been doing this for years. So wow. as soon as I lost my role, I'm like, well, I have time. Let's go clean up all your all my notes and make it available. So I took all my notes across the four years of studying and I made it all free. So I put it all on Gumroad. It was all available for free. And I'm like, okay, my notes are all available for free. What do I do next? Maybe it's the engineer in me or what my dad said. He's always like, you need to measure your goals. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to measure. So I said, okay, what if I could enable one Bitcoin interaction per day for 100 days? That means for the next 100 days, for basically three months, there's something to keep me occupied in Bitcoin. I can measure it and I can, I can specifically say, did I succeed or not? So then I wrote a blog post on Substack. I said, you know what? This 100-day challenge is going to be measured by Bitcoin moving addresses. It needs to be between myself or a stranger, a family member, a business person. Um, I How do I do this? Someone buys, sell, they take self-custody. I get a business owner to accept Bitcoin. I help someone run a node. So I came up with a bunch of different things I could do, and I started. The first two weeks, super easy. I went to my brother. Hey, you've been talking about Bitcoin, right? Or you wanted to learn? Let me show you how to self-custody. Let me show you how to buy. Let me show you how to DCA. Hey, dad, you've been wanting to self-custody. Let me help you with that. Hey, mom, you want to buy a gift card? Go to BitRefill. Let me send you some Bitcoin for you to buy a Sephora gift card. So the first two weeks, family, friends, super easy. After that, the reality hit in and I was getting very desperate because it got, I had a week where nothing, you know, I hit up my friends. I'm like, guys, um, I'll give you $5 to go check out how you can buy gift cards using lightning. It's just new cool tech um, that wasn't available five years ago. Would you guys like to try? These are some of the most well-educated individuals I know, some of my closest friends. Zero people took me up on the offer for free money. Mm. And I realized, you know what? 
I need to take a drastic step because just sitting in front of my computer isn't going to work. And that's when I had this sort of light bulb moment when I said, if you can't get to people on the internet, go to people in person. That is your strength. You talk to people every day, go to people and talk to them in person. So I bought a whiteboard. <laughs> I wrote Bitcoin, ask me anything. And I went to the street. I went to the, I went to Stephen Ave in Calgary and I just stood there for, for an hour and a half. The first time I did it was awkward. I was anxious. I was insecure, but 30 minutes in, I realized there's no reason for me to feel any of those emotions because I'm out here giving my time for free to help others learn a technology that they should all be aware of. They should be paying me for this. I should not feel insecure or awkward. I should own this because I'm out here doing a public service. If they want to talk to me, great. If they don't want to talk to me, that's cool too. My number one rule being on the streets was I don't actively engage anyone unless they give the first sort of sign or the first sign of an interaction, a point, a look, a nod, uh, a sigh, something. Only then do I open say, the channel. Hey, as, thank you. Yes. Like in, <laughs> in Bitcoin terms, they got to open the channel. And if they did, the salesman in me came out. Hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? What would you like to know about Bitcoin? And I tried different messages. So I went the next sort of two weeks. I tried Bitcoin, ask me anything, free Bitcoin demo, free Bitcoin penny, um, free Bitcoin 0.00001. Um, answer three questions, win Bitcoin. And I just tried a bunch of different messages to see what landed. Which, by the way, is play. Like, it sounds like it went from <laughs> work and, you know, that state of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go to like trial and error through play. And I think that's beautiful because the amount of data you collected mentally and the amount of soft impact points, like put it this way, every person that walked by chose not to open a channel, but actually read the word Bitcoin and saw that there was a human there giving their time and energy being available for anyone who wants to know about it. They can't unsee that. It might be like, you know superficial it might not actually penetrate that deeply into their psyche but they cannot unsee that and sometimes in my experience it's the accumulation effect of soft subtle almost irrelevant touch points that actually accumulate to a point and create a boiling point where people develop some sort of curiosity so that there's always one final touch point like this professor of mine in physio school told me this she's like in hospital when you are doing your rotations every single person you treat you you tell them if they are a smoker, because it's on their chart, you say, you realize, I know you know this, but I'm going to tell you again, smoking is really detrimental to your health. And there are ways mm -hmm. to work on quitting. And there was always this hesitation where people were like, fuck, you know, like clearly they know this, clearly they've heard this, everyone's saying it. But my professor said, mm -hmm. what if you're the last person that tells them and actually makes them take action? And if you mm -hmm. don't say it, maybe you're actually not being the person that could have actually changed that person's life. So, so it's this notion that every touch point is a valid touch point, even if you do not see material effects from it immediately. Mm -hmm. Often we can trust that we are part of the accumulation of those touch points, but can actually create the momentum for someone to overcome an obstacle that was formerly um, insurmountable. So sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to toss that in there. So thanks, thanks for no, being it's... that person. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate it. And, I, and touch points is a great um, segue before I continue on to the 100 day challenge, because 
when Bitcoiners talk about orange pilling, it sounds like a this singular event where this individual like light is going to shine down this person. It's going to be orange and a doorway opens and they become a Bitcoiner. That's not going to happen. Right. You know, there, that's why I've tried to avoid the word orange pilling. And I use interactions because it may take a hundred interactions to get someone to a point where they want to purchase Bitcoin or it could take one. And yeah. each individual will come to that point in different ways. My dad is the perfect example. My dad is conservative. He, he likes to play it safe. He likes to diversify things. And I've been talking about Bitcoin for five years. I even bought him the Bitcoin standard. Even after he read the book, I'm like, dad, how'd you like it? He's like, yeah, there's some good points, but you know, here's my, here's my concerns with it. And I'm like, dad, we've talked about this so many times, but after all these years, I've just been chipping away at it. But now when I talk to him, he's like, yeah, I'm starting to get it. I see why. So as much as we love orange pilling, I feel as, as, as a community, we need to be aware that orange pilling isn't a singular event. It's multitudes of interactions that may take one person to get to that sort of event where they get, okay, you know what? I want to learn more about Bitcoin. I want to do more with Bitcoin. Um, getting back to the sign, holding the sign, the first time I did it, my success criteria was if one person stops, I'm happy, end of the day. I waited for an hour and a half. After an hour and 25 minutes, one person stopped. And I'm like, <laughs> success. I spoke to that person. I was trying to give them sats. They didn't have time, so I couldn't do it. Um, I probably spent maybe 15 hours on the streets holding the different signs. In total, not more than 20, 30 people would have stopped. So I'd say less than 1%. I'm, at least 3,000 people have seen my sign. I know that much but less than 1% stop and getting them to send Satoshis is even harder because they're like, well, are you trying to scam me? I'm like, no, dude, I'm trying to give you money. Like, I'm not asking you for money. I'm, I'm trying to give you money. I'm trying to give you a demo. If you want to, great. If you don't, that's okay too. I've probably given, sorry, I'd say around 50 people have stopped. It's about 10 that have accepted Satoshis, 15 that have accepted Satoshis. Um, but it's the whiteboard that, have, that really taught me that I could spend the rest of my life on the streets but network effects won't take place. And that's when my career stepped in and it's like, dude, you've been doing this as a, as for the last 10 years. What are you doing on the streets? Yes, it's helpful. You're idealistic. You want to be this poster child for Bitcoin on the streets, great. But is someone really going to go start using Bitcoin after they get that one Satoshi from you? No, what do you need to do? You need to get to businesses. So I always knew businesses would be the secret key. I just hadn't spent much time but while all this is going on, I'm at day maybe 40 and I'm only around 25 interactions in. So I'm still desperate. I'm like, okay, holy shit, what do I do? I need to catch up. So then I realized when I go to restaurants, let's start tipping servers and waitresses in Bitcoin. So the first four times I failed miserably because I asked the question, can I tip you in Bitcoin? And the answer was always no. And I realized, what if I ask them, sorry, the question I'd always, I, I, I digress here, but I, or I remember, I miss, I misremember what I, the initial question was, would you, would you, would you like a tip in Bitcoin? And the answer was always no, because it was always perceived as a scam. And when I realized, well, what if I asked, has anyone tipped you in Bitcoin before? Rather than asking, do you want it now? And the answer to that was always no, because no one had tipped them in Bitcoin. And the moment they'd said no, I'm like, hey, would you like to now? And there was always a hesitation because they weren't sure what to say. 
And that's when you have to get in with something quick and easy. It's like, hey, don't worry about it. It's very easy. It's just 30 seconds and I can get you Bitcoin. And the moment they heard it was very easy, if they had a phone, they're like, yeah, I'll do it. So the moment I changed the way that I asked these servers, my success rate quadrupled. Instead of getting the four no's that I started off with, asking them, has anyone tipped you in Bitcoin before? I think since then I've tipped maybe around 15 servers. And only maybe one has said no. So I got 15 interactions through that. Anytime I meet a friend is like, hey, have you received Bitcoin? They're usually like, no. Do you want to see how quickly you can receive Bitcoin? Doesn't it take time? No, I can send it to you in 30 seconds. Here, download this app. Here's a Satoshi. Boom. Now send this Satoshi to that person. Boom. Two interactions. So sending Satoshis and tipping people got me to around 50, 60. Then I started focusing on business owners. I went to my family, friends who were business owners, got around 10 of them, added another 10. Um helped a farmer. We talked about this during the white paper and the, and the self-custody helped the farmer with his coal card and his node. So he moved money around or he moved Bitcoin around during that exercise. So that counted as a few more interactions. Um, the farmer, I used to get my meat from that farmer. So I probably bought meat from him four times. So four more interactions. And as I was going through all this, I realized I, I forgot the most important person at home, which was my wife, because one day I was saying, Hey babe, if something were to happen to me, what would you do with like all the knowledge and our stack? And she's like, I don't know. I have to go ask someone else. And I said, okay, I've clearly failed you miserably because if you had to go ask someone else, what the hell have I done for the last five years? So as soon as I heard that, that was like Thursday. And I'm like, I'm changing this this weekend. This cannot fly. So on that spot, I came up with what I call the Bitcoin bootcamp. I'm like, you're going to learn how to stack non-KYC. You're going to learn how to store it. You're going to learn how to secure it. And you're going to learn how to spend it. We're not going to need more than five hours. You need to be patient with me. It may get frustrating, but you're going to learn a lot and you need some patience and effort. And if you're okay with that, we're going to do it this weekend. She gave a thumbs up. I said, okay, two hours on Saturday, two hours on Sunday, maybe 30 minutes on Friday to set things up. So Friday, I got my cold card out. I'm like, this is how you create a new uh, private key. Here's your private key. Okay, let's write it down. Great. You've got a wallet created. Okay. Next day, let's go to the post office. Build Bitcoin. We're going to deposit money, non-KYC. Wow. Now you have non-KYC sets. Great. Check. Next, how do you store it? Send it to wallet of Satoshi. People will not like hearing that, but this is your day-to-day -day wallet. Don't keep more than $20 to $50 here. Great. Check. Do you want a non-custodial option? Let's download Phoenix. Put the $100 there. Check. How do you secure it? Okay, this is where things get complicated and some people might say I might've gone a little bit overboard, but we took cold card, exported the JSON, took it to Sparrow. Now she can receive and send in Sparrow. Okay, I'm a bit complicated. It's gonna get a little bit more technical. Hope you're okay with it. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, side note, she's also an industrial engineer. So she has a little bit of technical aptitude, which is why she was. it was easy to bring her along with this. So we signed we, what do we do? We received on Sparrow and then to spend, we had transferred it through the partially signed Bitcoin uh, transaction uh, using a micro SD card. That was probably the hardest part for her. She's like, why are we like transferring it from this memory card onto a computer? Can't we just do it on a computer? And I said, yeah, you could do it on a computer, but this is air gap. It's so cool. It doesn't touch the internet at all. And she's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm crazy, but I'm teaching you. 
all the ways. <laughs> and the last one was, how do you spend? BitRefill, Bitcoin, co-company. And if you go to my barber, you can spend in Bitcoin. So that, that sort of Bitcoin bootcamp was another maybe 10 interactions where Bitcoin moved addresses. And I just kept at it. And then what was another one? Uh, businesses, the node, uh, the books. Ooh, my nephews and nieces. So in our culture, we give gold when kids are born. Uh, that's just the South Asian mentality. Gold reigns supreme. And as a Bitcoiner, I just couldn't do that to these kids. I couldn't give them gold. So what do I do? I give them Bitcoin. Um, I got a little treasure box uh, from Dollarama, put confetti in it, got a, got a open dime from CoinKite, loaded the, co uh, the open dime with Bitcoin, wrote down a little message for all of them uh, with how much Satoshis were in it, uh, closed the treasure box and wrapped it up, put it in a box, went to their parents and said, listen, this is a gift for these kids. Do not and don't you dare give it to them until they turn 18. When they turn 18, you give this to them. Until then, you put this in your locker, you put this anywhere safe. This does not get touched until then. And when you need help, I will be there to help you. You can look at guides online. I don't, I can't touch these funds. Only you have access to these funds until you poke this hole and it's available to you. That got me another like six or seven interactions because Bitcoin moved addresses. And ultimately I fell short. I got to 96, I didn't get to 100. But I learned so much about myself, about others, about Bitcoin in general. And the takeaway was clearly, if I want network effects and Bitcoin adoption needs to grow, businesses, 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 businesses. And I'll pause there because I've been talking for a lot. That was great. And if you give that to them, I mean, back to this, you know, it's like you think it's surprising that people decline to receive $5 of free money in Bitcoin. <laughs> I gave envelopes with $8,000 to truckers during the convoy. And some of them said, I can't, man, I, I don't do technology. I don't know what this is. It could be a scam. Respectfully, I'm going to decline. And I was fine with that. There's $8,000 of Bitcoin in each of those at the time. So I think it has a long way to go. Mind you, that was a vast, every single interaction I had that went that way. There was only probably two or three amongst all the truckers I went to in their cabs. And I would always ask, you know, can I just ask why? Like, I really want to, this is a gift from the Bitcoin community for the service that you've done of just like sacrificing a lot um, and putting yourself in harm's way for the sake of, you know, giving everyone that isn't here a voice. Thank you for doing that. Uh, and I would always ask them, like, can you give me a read? Like, why are you declining this gift? Is it that you're intimidated? Is it that you think it's a scam? And they would kind of, you know, give me little nuggets of hesitation. And I had to kind of make a determination of like, okay, is this an outlier person? Or is this something that I actually have to change the way I'm describing? Because I only have four or five minutes with each trucker, because it is kind of mm -hmm. a risky endeavor to walk around with hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin yeah. in, a, in a backpack. Um, <laughs> it's kind of sketchy. I, like I would not do it again. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, we talk about the, the challenge of conveying Bitcoin. Uh, and it, it is real. And, you know, I think the role of educating people and of making it more understandable by simplifying it really is, you know, trying to tap into their curiosity, right? And sometimes you do it at the exact point where someone's experiencing enough pain in their life 
that maybe they can convey a pain point. And then, you know, what I found really worked with these, with the truckers in particular was this notion that, you know, the separation of church and state was really important and Mm -hmm. you want your freedom. And we are all here for the same reason for freedom, but true freedom cannot be achieved until we have separation of state and money. And this is Mm -hmm. money. Bitcoin is money that is not connected, tied to and controlled by the state. And that line alone, knowing that they already, they were literally sacrificing their livelihood and their socioeconomic lives potentially for freedom. They, they mm-hmm. wanted freedom. They aligned with freedom. It was an important value to them clearly because otherwise they wouldn't be there. The idea of tying Bitcoin to a monetary network that is based on freedom was a, a, a really powerful sort of thread to pull on for them. And um, yeah, it's like, there's a pipeline of getting people to experience Bitcoin. And for me, Wallet of Satoshi sending 21 sats is the first soft mm-hmm. touch point of having them experiencing it. Now, I don't care how many Bitcoin are shit on me for not going through the full stack of self-custody and helping someone set up a node, but with all due respect, if I'm on the street and I just want to give a little orange Tic Tac, like that's how I'm doing it. Um, no, I'm not, not everyone's ready for the mega dose, right? Most people need a micro dose yes. to just Preach. be like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, I'm not really gonna take it that seriously. Um, but you know, I'll probably come find you eventually to ask you something if I see you in again. And that's really the only point, right? Is not to force Bitcoin on people. It's really just to, you know, make it fun and playful and show them the magic of like, I can have Bitcoin zapped magically to your mm-hmm. phone in 60 seconds. Do you want to see it? Like if you have 60 seconds, it's pretty freaking cool. Um, and I think that is really what's needed to sometimes get people interested um, and to diffuse any fears or uncertainty. You know, I think anytime you ask someone to download an app, there's automatically a bit of a sense of fear. So I've had the best luck when I already have some sort of trust relationship. Like I've had an interaction with this person before where we know each other's name. We've mm-hmm. had an in-person conversation uh, and there's an element of I'm familiar with this person. So if they mention something out of left field like Bitcoin, I'm going to be more accepting to just hearing them out. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it's, you know, there's always a touch point at the end there to say like, this is, you know, if your phone gets hacked or lost, those Bitcoins are gone forever. Well, we donated mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. to Wallet of Satoshi. So when it gets into larger amounts, you know, there's ways to secure it so that if your phone gets smashed, lost or hacked, you're still going to be in control of the Bitcoin with 12 words that you can write down, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So when you're ready for that, let me know. In the meantime, I'll keep tipping you when the tips get to a certain amount. Let's talk about that. Um, and I think that's a reasonable way to do it. That's what I've had a lot of success with. And there's no reason to say that that shouldn't be done, right? Because if you try and go mm-hmm. full force self-custody on someone in two minutes, well, I don't think you actually can. And you're going to overwhelm them to the point where they're just ta- going to tap out. So yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is play. When I started treating it as play, like when I stopped forcing Bitcoin on my family, uh, people start in my family started asking me about Bitcoin. So I think, you know, it's very similar. I've learned a lot about what I call green pilling people, which is helping people understand health. Uh, a, a lot of my green pilling lessons actually apply to orange pilling because, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is, is you can't make someone healthy only they can you can't force someone mm-hmm. to adopt bitcoin only they can mm-hmm. they have to mm-hmm. be at a state of readiness where they're actually experiencing enough pain or have enough curiosity to be willing to engage the next step whatever that step is in the thousand stairwell that in the thousand steps there is to climb to mount bitcoin which actually just leads to another peak that's a million stairs in my experience <laughs> um 
you know, like when someone's ready to take one step, I want to be the person there to make best use of that opportunity and make sure all the time that they spend learning is time well spent because it's almost like Bitcoin used to be this treacherous mountain hike where like at every turn, there was someone trying to skew you off the path or a hole, black hole that you'd fall down and never come back out of. And these are, you know, the exchanges, the, the crypto, you know, all of these things. And I want to make sure people can follow a path that is free of distractions so that every unit of energy they put into learning about Bitcoin is well spent. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important part where it actually means that every opportunity we have can be treated as very precious instead of just flippant. Um, and obviously there's going to be big opportunities that come right where you have literally someone that's going along the trail that then brings a million people with them over the course of their career lifetime on that trail. And that is right. the businesses or the merchants or the uh, e-commerce platforms, whatever it might be. And so, yeah, I think uh, these days I get a lot of like, really what I want to do is gather a team who can handle the big, the big people, the big projects, um, which are, you know, and, and I fully acknowledge that something like Shopify probably has like right now, I reasonably give it a 5% probability of us doing that, of it actually landing. But I'll take 5% knowing mm -hmm. that they have 1.75 million merchants that will, if they had a turnkey experience where in two clicks, they could accept Bitcoin and have, uh, you know, like a merchant wallet built into their dashboard. I use Shopify almost every day because I'm involved with the natural footwear company in Canada. We use Shopify. I think it's a great platform. I think it's extremely potent as a turnkey solution to allow people to open a business on the internet. And the one thing it's missing is money for the internet. And, right. you know, this idea that I think, sorry, I kind of instantly segued into the Shopify thing because it's been on my mind a lot lately. <laughs> um, but the idea that Shopify has an opportunity not just to create a new revenue, revenue stream by being an LSP for all their merchants and charging 0.5% in routing fees to save the merchants 2.95% in credit card fees. Not only do they mm -hmm. have an opportunity to generate a new revenue stream, but they can actually, if you really zoom out beyond just the business, they have the opportunity to protect 1.75 million global merchants from the despicable behavior, which is monetary debasement, which is essentially putting all of their business at risk over a long enough period of time. And I'll give you a tiny story of how that shows up. This natural footwear company that I'm part of in Canada called Soul Freedom um, buys most of their footwear from suppliers in the United States who price their supplies mm -hmm. in the United States dollars. Mm -hmm. And basically things have gotten 20% more expensive for this company. And mm -hmm. they're not really able to charge 20% more on their products because it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's essentially a like the the monetary manipulation is eviscerating this company. And if you actually mm -hmm. par forward two years, like it's going to be real hard to even run a business if that trajectory continues. So eventually that company will transition to a Bitcoin standard. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just the idea that doing it in one or two clicks and being fully set up and having this merchant education uh, available to all Shopify merchants who are curious enough or experiencing enough pain. Because guess what? If you live in Argentina and you have a Shopify store, it would probably serve you very well to be able to integrate Bitcoin and accept Bitcoin payments. More so mm -hmm. than any Canadian or American who's not currently experiencing enough pain. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think uh, the high the high value, I don't want to call them high value targets, but the high 
the asymmetrical opportunities, which have maybe low probability of success, but a high, high return, kind of like Bitcoin, um, just seem like, like when you think of all those opportunities that are out there, it's like, wow, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a huge amount of just, there's a huge amount of impact that can happen with just, um, you know, the right person reading the white paper, right? Like if all that happens is an open letter goes to Shopify and every board member and VP of technology reads the white paper, that's a resounding success even if nothing else happens beyond that for, you know, X amount of time. But for someone to say that Shopify is never going to integrate Bitcoin as one of the world's top e-commerce companies in the internet economy, to say that they're not going to adopt the money that is designed for the internet economy is silly. So it's just a matter of when and how ready they are. And I just think it's such a, it's such a big opportunity, really, because a beautiful, elegant solution created by them for merchants is... You know, think yeah. about the amount of time it would take to, to orange pill a million merchants and how much how much they can do by just integrating that. So anyway, maybe I'm thinking a little bit too big and dreamy. No, but... no, 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 no. You're you're on the right path. I mean, top of mind first is even if there's five percent chance, don't worry about the percentage of success, use your first interaction. All right. Yeah. Your first interaction. You're not gonna we all know it's not gonna be or they're not gonna be orange pill in that one interaction. Exactly. So regardless of your chance of success, you've got your first interaction. That's success right there. You just need your second interaction. You need your third, you need your fourth, and you need your fifth. And if you can make sure after every interaction, you can get your second interaction or your next interaction in the calendar, you're succeeding. It doesn't matter to what extent Shopify is either implementing or accepting Bitcoin, but if you continue getting your interactions, you will slowly start preaching and giving them the message for them to come. Finally, I don't know how many interactions it will take for them to realize. And a little food for thought, which is, when you approach Shopify, it's very important to take a lens from their side and not a Bitcoiner side, because these, these guys, they live and breathe fiat. And having tried to build partnerships with these, the head honchos of these global brands, they think differently and they are fiat minded day in, day out. That's where they've made their money. Yep. So all of a sudden, this person comes and says, hey, listen, so all your merchants can now use this money that doesn't require any third parties, you know? Um, so how do you like that? But you can make money off of it. Quick sort of immediate reaction as let's say a board member is, hold on, wait, so banks are involved anymore, meaning they don't get a cut. Okay, so I can get a cut, but what are the repercussions for my loans and the banks, the relationship that I have with my banks and my other companies? Okay, well, will, they, will my bank accept this? I don't know. What about the other individuals in my network, will they be okay with this decision? So the fiat mindset will start running of like, okay, how do I make, how do I, how have I made money so far? Is, will I continue making money this way? And will this Bitcoin thing make me more money? And how will it be perceived in the market? Will it tank our stock or will it improve our stock? Okay. Is it bear market, bull market? And the way they perceive information when it comes to partnerships and taking on new payments is very different because you know what Visa and MasterCard sells them? They sell them, we'll give you user data. It's going to be anonymized, but we'll give you user data, right? So now what is Shopify sitting on? Shopify is sitting on a horde of data that says, anyone that's shopping with these merchants are shopping at this time at these businesses. Or this cohort, which is aged from this to this, is now spending at this location or this geographical area. All of this information, when anonymized, is at every board member's table. Now, when right. they have that information, all of a sudden Bitcoin comes around like, well, you don't actually get any of that information anymore. How is it going to be perceived? 
So the way I would approach it almost is take the, the pitch that Visa would come to them with, and you need to obliterate what Visa's pitch is. And Visa's pitch is going to be data, data, data. But now what do you do? Bitcoin isn't data. Bitcoin is privacy. So you cannot lead with that. What do you lead with? Convenience, global acceptance, you know, reduction of barriers. You don't need a bank account. All of a sudden, you've increased your customer base tenfold, a hundredfold. You don't need a person to go open a bank account. Someone in rural Canada, China, India, Russia, name a country, rural location, does not have access to the bank. They can now make a purchase with your merchant who otherwise couldn't have done that with a digital means. Bitcoin gives you that. So the, the pitch of how you go about it is very important because what, what's going to go through the mind, the moment they hear Bitcoin, they're immediately thinking about their current payment methods. And you're now, I wouldn't say unseating, but you're trying to dethrone the other payment methods, which has been their quote unquote moneymaker for, for, for as long as we've known business in the last 50 years. Yep. So it's just a bit of food, of food for thought as, as you approach and sort of formulate this pitch is to make sure you're aware on what is being put forward. It's important to give some sort of our, our Bitcoin or ethos and value, but I'd say tone it down a little uh, in Probably the first interaction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the first interaction and try to try to like, how do you, they're fiat minded. Like that's how they made their money. So um, I'm happy to help uh, because I've been in all those conversations. I kind of know how Visa and MasterCard approaches it. So I'm just, I'm just glad that you have the first interaction. Like that's a success right there. So um, yeah, ironically that, that same footwear company, there is a Shopify exec who buys shoes there. And apparently he's a great dude, <laughs> loves to chat. So that's a way in, but I think I really, the path forward with this is like low time preference. You will get one shot to make a good first impression. I think um, sort of putting together like a big brain call with a bunch of other consultants, uh, which I'm kind of seeding in the, in the Telegram group right now. And then having a Google doc where we can all collaboratively basically put together a one page open letter to Shopify that I can, you know, potentially send or talk about in person with this exec. Um, and, you know, you can literally send physical packages to the board of directors of Shopify. They have the address there. And so literally sending a really nice letter in writing, uh, or just like really well done so that it gets opened and seen by someone probably four or five layers removed from the board of directors, but probably worth a read. Uh, the idea of collaboratively in an open source way, writing an open, writing an open letter to Shopify, to Toby Lutke, to the board of directors, to every VP of engineering. Uh, you know, I have a sidekick. She's my, she's been my assistant for a while and she's just a ninja fixer. So she can find how to get the contact information for all the important players that could be part of the decision-making apparatus to Shopify. Not like, you know, is Toby Lutke going to read this letter? Probably not, but he might. Yeah. If we can make it attractive enough. And it's really not about, it's really about finding the happy balance, right? What's that? If you want a cursive, I am happily obliged to write it out for you. <laughs> I think that's how we should do it. I think it's so much more human and, and out of the norm of what they're used to that it, it will actually get more and more attention. Um, I'm good with like gorilla weird things like this. So I, it's, it's all play. Again, it's all play. You, you, right? you got to be different. Um, but you're, but yes, I think, you're right. But I think the notion that it's about balancing 
what is the lens that shop how did shopify become what it is and what fiat incentives got them there okay that is that is their tether to the fiat system and we know that and i think it's yeah. the more we can put ourselves in their shoes and see where they're coming from as a fiat as a business largely existing in the fiat world that's really important and then how do we bring up bitcoin in a way that balances the benefit it can have on for Shopify shareholders, like really the board directors has a duty yep. to do what is best for the shareholders of the publicly traded company. So yes, is it good for the shareholders of Shopify? Is it good Absolutely. for the brand image of Shopify? Is it good for the merchants of Shopify? Is it, you know, is it good for the world? And I think, you know, I just got to plug in hours of Michael Saylor in my eardrums and listen to some of the words he uses to elegantly explain like, why is Bitcoin good for business? Yes, there's a big obstacle. There's a big barrier to entry. Um, and yes, Shopify has these third party kind of kludgy, clunky, geographically limited integrations with Bitcoin, which probably makes them feel like they're doing something with Bitcoin. But the reality right. is that those aren't, those are virtually non-functional for a lot of merchants, right? For the majority of their merchants. I, you know, that footwear store tried to integrate Bitcoin, didn't work with whatever third party yeah. app they had there. So, so I think so, the elegance of the solution will determine the adoption and the um, experience people have, which is a huge part in it actually being successful. So, so I'll take a page out of the book that I wrote, Bitcoin for Businesses, and two key things, payments and corporate treasury. Corporate treasury for them is probably a longer term before payments potentially. But like you said, positioning it as all the users involved like the globe, their customers, themselves, their shareholders, and actually defining these personas and how Bitcoin can impact those personas could also be a great angle to approach it to make sure you've thought about every single player in their sort of web of, web of uh, touch points. Mm -hmm. And yes, it has to be something very different. You know, you've got to send something super random, super colorful, and catch your attention. Maybe it's it's a group, it's a orange envelope that has a stamp of the B on it. Like you're right, it has to be something that sticks out for them to be like from Satoshi. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. So something wacky, something weird. But if I were to pitch again, I haven't given this too much thought except when I read the message and now this conversation. If I were to go into a conversation with this exec Before I get into Bitcoin itself, I truly want to understand because I do remember in our group, someone talked about Strike and uh, being integrated with uh, Shopify. I didn't look into it much, but I would try to really glean and discover how do they perceive it and what the internal mantra towards Bitcoin is. Do they even understand Bitcoin? Have they thought about it? Because for all you know, there's some team out there that's actually researching and there's a paper on someone's desk to talk about Bitcoin as a payment, right? We don't know that. Right. So Shopify could already as, have a Skunkworks team working on this. I've also considered yeah, that. So, so, so I would like, my approach would it be truly like, I'd be prepared with all my talking points, how I want to hit things home, but I'd really treat this as a discovery call to get as much information as I possibly can, because that information will arm you with hitting them exactly where it hurt, hurts the most, because they definitely have pain. What is their pain? Their growth is probably slowing down. Okay, well, why is growth slowing down? Well, have they hit all their merchants? Probably not. Have they hit all the customers? Maybe, maybe not. But as I'm speaking out loud, I definitely realize one of the key points is 
payments without barriers. You can get payments from anyone in the globe without any barriers, which means you've got access to. There's a the, the World Bank put out a stat two th- last year: four point one billion people don't have access to banking in the world. Sorry, not four. I have it right here. It's I think two. I might have misquoted that. Uh, well, Christopher from Bridge to Bitcoin brought up a really good point with his merchants. He basically said that when we when we bring Bitcoin to merchants, one of the one of the really big positives that they pitch is that you're unlocking a whole new customer base of people who own Bitcoin and want to spend Bitcoin. And but I never took it a, a step further to say people who don't have a bank account can't currently buy anything from any Shopify merchant. And if you open up Bitcoin payments you actually open up a brand new, you open up a bottle of wealth that currently is untapped by any of your merchants, you know, apart, aside from some who are use, maybe using these integrations. But, um, and even with Strike, just the idea that a Canadian company that has their headquarters in the capital of Canada, integrated mm-hmm. Strike, which cannot be used by Canadians because Strike is not in Canada. So there's something missing there, right? It's like, you know, you got to look out for the Canucks who need, because if anything, the Canadian dollar is just shit in the bed so much and inflicting so much pain on merchants and individuals that it's like, there's something there to bring up. I don't know how that gets actually put on the radar, but there's something there. And I think what I want to do is just create a giant repository of all the ideas related to the benefits to all the key players, all the stakeholders in Shopify's ecosystem, and just take a long time hashing out what we should Put in the letter what we shouldn't more importantly what we shouldn't put in the letter and why and you know if it gets sent in like two three months like we should we should give this a lot of time i'm, I'm ready to play for a yeah. while on this so yeah and i caught myself because as soon as i said four i'm like that sounds stupid you shouldn't so it's actually 1.4 1.4 billion are on bank so now imagine having gotcha. access to 1.4 billion as a customer base if they accept it now the next question the exec is going to ask is well how are those people going to get bitcoin so there, like you said, there are levels to this, and yeah. you brought up a great statement, which is, "What do you not include in this paper, or in this in this initial letter?" There's a lot that we shouldn't include, right? Agreed. It should be simple, playful, to the point, almost, almost paint a future picture of what Spotify could look like with Bitcoin payments. Agreed. You know, because they might is, not even what, be able to imagine that right now. Right. So, 2033, 2040. What does Shopify look like accepting Bitcoin? Ooh, I like that. Right? Like, what if you we could we paint this picture of what Shopify could be the global standard of e-commerce because they accept Bitcoin? Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah, give basically paint a picture that someone in Africa with a with a dumb phone buys something made by someone in Argentina with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, <laughs> that'd be cool. That'd be that's ah, we should you know what. Oh, again, I love this conversation and I wish we had, I, I'm, we're probably running out of time, but why don't we go, are you right for another 17 minutes? We go to 1120. I am. It, I it's am. crazy that we've already gone for 63 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how the time flew. Uh, yes. It, the future with the story, like you said, someone with a dumb phone in Africa is able to buy whatever item made in Argentina, pick a country and they're able to make a purchase without any banks involved. And when a exec reads that, the first is going to be like, whoa, there's no bank involved. But if you show them money, which is like, you, if you can verify the calculation also, because I spent a year dealing with revenue models at the, the FinTech, if you can 
this will be maybe an appendix or like adjacent a, a document. But if you can throw in something like, which equates to this much revenue, whether through the LSP or through the subscription, because they now provide it to merchants to accept Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin as a form of payment. If you can quantify some number, that's going to catch their eye because ultimately they're money-minded, right? Of course. We either show them money or we show them Bitcoin. So it's like, yep. how much Bitcoin is that in today's today's value? Maybe that's the angle. It's like, this equates this much Bitcoin, which exchange rate equals this much USD. Yeah. So there's a lot. You know what? This I'm so excited. Uh, we got to talk well, more. About I, I mean, the thing that actually, so one of the things we're going to do at Finney 21, one of the product lines, which I think consulting is just bespoke focused education. Like to me, that's mm -hmm. my truth where education, you know, open source education is one realm. But I think if a family office approaches and says, we need our whole team to actually understand Bitcoin, because our team is going to be talking to the clients and has to, mm -hmm. you know, hold good on that and be able to answer questions. If there's an 80% drawdown, we have to be able to answer questions. So mm -hmm. our team needs to understand Bitcoin. This is going to take time, uh, a bespoke newsletter that people read once a week and a call coordinated by the consulting firm once a month to essentially gather everyone together to go on this learning journey together. That's a product line that I think is going to be really cool. And actually, I think there's a way to embed a proof of work element where every time someone reads a weekly newsletter for 30 minutes, they send uh, a summary of what they read to an email and they get sent like 21,000 sats. So like pay people to learn about Bitcoin because mm. that's actually the best way for them to learn is actually to see the magic that, wow, I learned something, I submit proof of work, I get paid Bitcoin to learn about Bitcoin because that's actually yeah. really good for the firm. Um, mm. for the family office, the idea that mm. Shopify could literally put out, could could pilot and beta test, um, a mobile wallet companion, like maybe they have a merchant wallet in the back end of Shopify, and then they have a companion wallet, um, for all the merchants to be able to take their stats into self-custody. And obviously there's legal compliance, there's regulatory hurdles, like all of these things. But if we just put that aside, because those can be tackled, um, the idea that you could pay every Shopify employee, send them their first sats as a way for them to experience and learn about Bitcoin. So, hey, Shopify employees, you know, X amount of thousands of you out there. If you go through this 40 minute education call, yeah. at the end of that, you'll be sent your first, we will send you your first sats so you can experience Bitcoin because we're looking to integrate Bitcoin into our product offering to future proof ourselves for the 21st century. Right. The idea of, and even sending merchants their first 21 sats. Like literally you can incentivize merchants and Shopify employees to learn about Bitcoin by sending them sats, you know, because that is actually the most powerful way to learn about Bitcoin. So even just the education piece associated with something like this, a big rollout, um, there's just so much room for creativity and fun and playfulness and experiential learning instead of theoretical learning because this is money for the world accessible to everyone. So yeah. everyone should actually have a touch point with it. I think there's something very special about that. And that's the, that's the education stuff that I really love to do is almost laying out a bespoke path of like, okay, assume everyone knows nothing about Bitcoin. And even the people who yeah. do, maybe they know the wrong things. Maybe they actually misunderstand Bitcoin. So let's create a journey that brings them from zero to at least 10 yeah. out of a thousand because 10 is the basic literacy they're going to need to be able to work with merchants <laughs> and answer questions. 
and you know it's like teach them how to if it was electricity teach them how to not electrocute themselves that's it yeah. it's like they don't need to know that much but they should know a couple cool bits yeah. that brings them to the next stage of curiosity and you know and the idea is to train a team in-house at shopify to do this work it's not to like be the people that shopify needs yeah. to work with it's like train the team train their own bitcoin team to be able to write all the code and do all the things but i think there's something really beautiful with a group of people that make it their life's mission and purpose to educate people about bitcoin to be able to handle collaboratively as a team you know something that's pretty ambitious and maybe the, yeah. you know maybe it's not the right time but maybe it is the only way to know is to try you miss all the swings you don't take so fuck it so the challenge here caribou is in sales there's two types of selling you sell when the person knows they have a problem and you sell when the person doesn't know there's a problem when they know it's a problem it's an easier sell because you know exactly what you're selling for because they know the problem Yes. When they don't know the problem, you not only need to make them aware that there is a problem, but then you need to give them a solution for a problem that they didn't even know existed for themselves. Yeah, and so we're sitting on number two. <laughs> right. So we, it's, it's going to take time. And like, yeah. when I was preparing for the white paper and I was going through the, the, the history of the internet and to think about how long it took from DARPA, Amranet, I believe is what it was called, from the 70s to actual World Wide Web email uh, or websites email and then coming up to the iPhone, we've come leaps and bounds. And to think that, you know, we're archaic right now, the wallet of Satoshi, the Phoenixes, the way we use Bitcoin right now is archaic. Yep. So it's exciting to think about where we'll go in the next 10 years. But like you said, it's, it's got to be playful. We've got to make it interesting. It's got to be different because it comes with a lot of baggage and the powers to be will always make sure Bitcoin has baggage and bias associated with it because the powers to be would like to control the narrative. And the masses will never realize that until they have the curiosity to go and learn it themselves. And like you said, we cannot show them the light at the end of the tunnel we can only show them the first step and they need to start learning that's what i learned a long time ago i can't be i can only be the conduit for that first interaction to give them the relevant energy or at least the curiosity to go on that path if i handhold them the entire time they're not going to get there or it's not going to stick they basically will get there and be like oh yeah he brought me here and i don't know why i'm here um, okay, I have a question for you. How did Finney 21 come to be? Because given your background in physical therapy, now you want a consulting a consulting firm for the future, really. How did that transition? How did that what was the genesis of Finney 21? So it simmered as an idea for probably two, three months. And it stemmed from the realization that I was actually doing informal consulting for a long time for friends, family, businesses that I was involved with. And it was actually my favorite work to do. It actually made all my fiat chores much more unbearable. And so I knew that there was like a shelf life to, to that, to my fiat life. Um, but some of the companies and businesses that I'm part of, I actually love, and I think they're solving very important problems in health and, and problems that I enjoy solving and teams that I love working with. 
-hmm. So, you know, I had to kind of think, well, how do I actually port these companies over to the other side? How do I port them over to Bitcoin? Because they're inevitably going to need to go there if they it is existentially essential for them to yeah. survive to operate on a Bitcoin standard at some point. When that is yeah. the timeline, I can't say. Um, so December 12th, 2021, 12, 12, 21, I was sitting in my car and I basically said, I'm deciding right now to move into Bitcoin full time. And I give myself 24 months to do it because it's going to take a while for me to unravel all my previous roles and like really maintain key relationships with teams of decision makers so that I can like, yeah. I have to think of like, what is, what is actually this new life look like for me? Right without mm -hmm. you know going off grid cutting all ties because i'm fairly deeply interwoven into the into my fiat world so this is going to take time and i'm okay with that um and what i realized is i'm not going to have nor should i really aspire to acquire the technical expertise to do a full stack execution for a big company like if i, I want right. to go i want to be part of the big executions i want to be the person that no one that takes no credit but knows all the key players and can coordinate the right people right. to do the right things to right you know to basically onboard like honda onto bitcoin which mm -hmm. is like a lofty goal um mm -hmm. and so i realized like i'm going to need a team of people who all have their own specialty who are generalists in either health or bitcoin are curious, want to always learn and deepen their skill set, want to learn together, actually find value in learning together, and can collaborate to do big strategies and big executions for um, companies or big or high net worth individuals who require like mm -hmm. a, a full stack of like really diligent, uh, hardcore people. And by hardcore, I just mean yeah. like, you have a, a daily or at minimum weekly practice of studying Bitcoin within your domain and know it deeply. Um, to the point where like it's almost like borderline obsession like i want to know everything there is to know my specialty in bitcoin is bitcoin collateralized loans like i want to understand deeply how do i help people never sell their bitcoin how do i help companies hold bitcoin on their balance sheet as a treasury asset mm -hmm. and still be able to access some liquidity and then my specialty in health is uh musculoskeletal so you know muscles bones joints that's from my physio days um, and so those are my two specialties now i want to fill a roster of people that have their own specialties so that right. anyone of any level who needs help um, understanding Bitcoin through the full spectrum of understanding, acquiring, self-custodying, you know, being able to go navigate that journey regardless of scale right. or size. Um, and I think there's something to be said about some centralized cost sharing systems to improve efficiency. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, the contact form at Finney 21 is seven questions and it gives us an understanding of who are these people coming um, mm -hmm. you know, are they willing to invest at least an hour a week studying Bitcoin? Cause if they're not, it's probably not the kind of, per it's not a good fit, right? I want to mm -hmm. find the people who are ready, who mm -hmm. know what they want, who know what they need yeah. and are ready for a team to go in and help them basically become empowered to understand the direction forward to right. integrate Bitcoin in whatever way they want. So yeah, it was really the insight that, okay, I want to go Bitcoin only. It was going to take time. I'm going to need a team cause I want to be able to do the big fun projects. Um, and, and then it was just this weird serendipitous moment where Ben put that message out to create the Bitcoin consultant <laughs> network. It's like, well, I just plugged into a network of dope ass people that can have conversations and learn together and talk about, you know, it's, it's almost like the work, what we're trying to do for work is a super valuable role in society for the next world. 
Yes. We're not really there yet. So it's like, mm -mm. it's like, there's not that many people today. Everyone who understands Bitcoin or wants to engage with it is probably doing it in their own self-directed curious way. So they don't really need consultants. But there's all these fiat people who are eventually going to get to the breaking point of experiencing enough pain that they must yeah. do something. They must act. And the skill set of understanding how, not just understanding Bitcoin, understanding how to actually help people navigate the journey to understanding mm. and integrating Bitcoin is a different subset, right? Like just like being healthy yeah. and helping people improve their health are very related. And I actually think one is a non-negotiable prerequisite to the other, but is not it doesn't just because you're healthy, it doesn't mean you can help other people with health because navigating human psychology and relationships is its own beast. So you have to have a motivation to want to help people and learn mm -hmm. how best to help help people through experience and just trial and error and being radically open to feedback to really get good at that. So it's almost like through the Bitcoin Consulting Network, we have this group of people who can continue to learn and actually get clarity on what it means to be a Bitcoin consultant and all the different frameworks that we can use to earn sats yeah. for our energy, because that's an important part of uh, an actual business. Yeah. Um, but it's like we're pioneering a new world into the unknown. We don't know what the fuck is going on. We just know we want to do this work. It's important work. There's going to be a demand for it. And I think yeah. we can figure it out together and talk about fun things because I love talking to Bitcoiners. So that's that was a convoluted way of explaining where it came from. And uh, I just want to be very simple, very clear, and I want to work with the people who are ready. Uh, and I want to work with badasses that are way smarter than me so I can learn from them and make sure every opportunity that comes to Finney 21 is able to be um, treated as like this sacred thing that is very important right. to make sure it's it's well harnessed. So. Mm. It's so unfortunate that we didn't meet when I was in Canada, <laughs> but I'm glad that we still met because- yeah. Never too late. Never too late, yeah, because I, I actually don't know when I'll come back, uh, but I'm glad Ben put out that message and I saw the message and we're having this conversation and I'm super excited to see where all of this goes, but one yeah. Of the, this, one of the go ahead. unique things about Finney 21 too that I, I really, this is like, part of the core skeleton of, of how I envision this happening is the notion that there is a buy-in um, to make sure only serious people really are, are part of this team. Half the buy-in goes towards shared expenses and making sure that we can, you know, maintain the website, do all the things where that make each of our lives easier, right? Have an, have an admin ninja that just basically coordinates all the backend discontinuous communication of email and messaging so that yeah. we can just use our energy for what we're, supposed to do and work with the people who we're supposed to work with. But the other half of the buy-in, the idea is to structure it so that it's basically, it's like if something ever happened to you and you're part of this group of 21 people, something ever happened to you, there's two other consultants that are key holders and educators that can talk to your next of kin and make sure that that half of the buy-in, which is like basically like a family trust for you, mm -hmm. goes mm -hmm. to the right person and you have like mm -hmm. this, this automatic distributed key structure where two other yeah. consultants who you trust deeply and you know deeply will make sure you're looked after if something happens to you. You know, yeah. obviously no one wants that to happen. But if I got hit yeah. by a bus, knowing that there's two people I trust that understand how to yeah. wield Bitcoin and can make sure that my next of kin understands how to access, store and keep safe, whatever Bitcoin is, is there to be passed on to them. Selfishly, I want that in my life. I want a network yeah. of 
Bitcoin badasses that I can yeah. meet up with once a year, eventually on a trip and just talk about cool stuff whose families I can interact with and know on a deeper level. Like I want to create my little Moai of Bitcoiners who are doing awesome shit, who I can work alongside and love to work with and who can make sure I'm looked after if something happens to me and make sure my family's looked after. So that's kind of a part of it too. And I don't know exactly what this looks like yet. Um, I have two months of just like quiet clarity now that I'm having a baby to just really think deeply about, about this. Um, yeah. and I'm stoked. And just, just the idea that I can talk to people like you is like, it's, it's what a treat, you know, to, to be able to really enjoy and save her life at a time of such collective pain is like such a, you know, it's, it's the epitome of suffering. Well, knowing that you have a tool for freedom and hope that is like most people don't know about yet, but every person that finds out is going to have their life upgraded and it feels really powerful and purposeful to know that we have a skill set that is very valuable. It's not yet yeah. priced in, but will unequivocally be priced in when enough collective pain happens, which mathematically seems inevitable. So it's cool. And you're on to one of the greatest journeys that people mention it to be. I'm not there yet. I don't know when I will be, but congratulations to you and your wife. I hope everything goes smoothly in the next coming days. And we can't wait to see Junior Caribou whenever... <laughs> <laughs> he or she is out and ready in the world um yeah. i'm very excited to meet her and we're doing a free birth okay. we're, doing, we're taking maximum responsibility for the experience so it is going to be you know it's very daunting but it's also you know i often remind myself that like women's bodies know how to give birth mm -hmm. hospitals mm -hmm. were not required over the yeah. course of humanity for a baby to come into right. the world and, yep. uh, you know, it's an exercise in myself and my wife, just kind of getting out of the way and trusting and also taking enough responsibility to really know that if this happens, this is what we do. If this happens, this is what we do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's like leaning into the unknown and also embracing just full uncertainty and, and being okay with that. But that's awesome because you're taking responsibility of that yourself and you're probably will be so prepared than probably 90 nine percent of people who give birth because you've gone through that journey of being prepared for anything and everything that could well for majority of things that could potentially happen while you're sorry a free birth occurs at home at home no midwife no doc no mid what the hell well i should say that i did acute sport coverage so i basically covered okay. massive rugby tournaments and hockey games as a physio and so i my brain is already wired for emergency procedures and knowing what to do without even having to think because it's think already like it. planned out and like you know if the worst thing happens this is what we do i've read that so many times i don't even have to think when it happens because it's going it. to be chaotic so yeah i'm kind of i'm not saying this is for everyone and i wouldn't advise everyone to do this necessarily unless they really understand the implications and my partner and i have a podcast called jedi fam where we just want to share the template that we're using in life, not to say everyone should not to say others should adopt this template one for one, but to yeah. at least put it out there as a possibility to say, yeah. there is this, this potential way of living, which is right. completely not only different, but maybe inversely opposite of what the norm is right now. Mm -hmm. And this is why we're doing it. And this is our experience and things we're going through. And here are the cheat codes that we've learned along the way so that you can at least have this be an opportunity that's available. Maybe you don't go there, but at least knowing it's available might readjust where people land on their continuum of how they want to do things like parenting yeah. or birth or school or whatever it is. So, I mean, I always go back four generations. I always tell people, 
if our great grandparents or great grandfathers met, they probably are not talking about money because money wasn't a problem then. Life was so right. different then. In just four generations alone, things have changed so much. If I went to my great grandmother, she probably didn't go to a hospital to give birth. They had that knowledge. They had that innate knowledge. They just knew. They just knew how to do it. And we've lost that over the last generations. And Jedi family, I'm going to go check it out because it's, in a way, I feel Bitcoin has given us this tool to like free our minds. And I don't want to sound sort of out there and crazy, but to free our minds to kind of go back to the norms of how our great grandparents and great great grandparents sort of grew up and what practices they sort of took on whether like you said schooling childbirth and everything and beyond i'm just glad we're at sort of the genesis of bitcoin yeah we're a little i wouldn't say late if you compare it to 2009 but at least we're early enough to see how this trajectory goes and I just wish you guys all the best. Um, Thank you. How many of those uh, 21 spots are already taken? Um, only two. Only two. Ooh. Because I'm not really, I want to create a roster of specialties to fill. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, still an, it's still an amorphous blob waiting to be carved. It has mm. pretty good skeleton, but, uh, and it's always going to be a dynamic work in progress. One of the things I really want to do is a monthly gathering mm -hmm. every single like if if someone commits to being on the team on the 20 21 is my sacred number on the <laughs> 21st of every month we gather and on on at least one of those annual calls you're teaching something about your specialty for at least 15 20 minutes to the rest of the team um and part of me even considers that half of the buy-in that goes to shared overhead um part of that being sent to you each call that you show up to. So basically it's like a bond saying that I will show up to 12 calls and every call I show up to sats get sent to me from that bond as a way to tether me to my commitment. So I don't know, there's a lot of, I almost, you know, I've gone way off the deep end and thought of really cool things that are probably just making the thing more complex than it needs to be. So I still have to kind of pare it down and trim. Um, but yeah, Jedi back to Jedi fam, the only two constraints of things we talk about, cause we don't want to talk about everything. We want to talk about the important stuff is money and health and money, money is health, just a okay. proxy for Bitcoin. But I wanted yeah. to create a podcast that my mom could listen to, to know health cheat codes and money cheat codes mm. for the new world we're going into. Um, and yeah, I'm excited and I'm excited to keep going with the Bitcoin consulting network. Cause I think it's a really awesome growing group of individuals that I think will deliver a lot of value to the world in whatever way they see fit. But, uh, why don't we call it for today? And absolutely. Yeah, uh, we're over. <laughs> let's do it. That's all right. I kind of figured nine. I, I thought 90, <laughs> even though I said 60. <laughs> so, cause if I said 90, we'd probably go for, you know, 120. Um, yeah. but anything you want to tell people who are listening to this before we send off, maybe we'll do this. We'll do this in another month. I don't know when, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Cause this was a lot of fun. What do I tell people? Wow. It's a if you want, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, I would just tell people, everyone, stay curious, keep an open mind, and just be willing to learn. Ask questions and try to teach others because the best lesson that you will ever have is trying to teach others. And it will teach not only about yourself, about the other person, but also about the topic that you're trying to teach. And you don't really realize how much you don't understand a topic until you try to teach someone. So if there's one thing you take away from student to Bitcoin is study it and be a teacher.
Beautiful. Love it. Everyone listening, thanks for being here. Thanks for your attention. We don't take it for granted. If you enjoy the content, you can boost this episode on Fountain. If you don't know what Fountain is, you're living under a rock. You can literally get paid Bitcoin to learn, which is dope. Uh, and you can loop some of that Bitcoin back into content creators whose content you enjoy listening to. So you can send sats, boost sats, stream sats on Fountain if you enjoy it. Uh, or actually the best way to support this is just share it to a friend who's ready to hear it. So it could be anyone. These are hosted on the Bitcoin Stoa YouTube and on the Bitcoin Stoa podcast. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Was this being recorded the whole time? Bit-